14th chapter in the Gospel of John. We had taken a little detour for a while. We're getting back to John, and hopefully before the eight years in, we will finish this out. The book of John talks about the whole purpose of the whole book is to let us know that Jesus is the Son of God. Nobody else. He is, in the Greek, the monogenes, the one of a kind, the only one. There's only one Son of God. That is Jesus Christ himself. And as we've traveled along this way, uh, we've seen him do miracles. We've seen him do a lot of things. And uh, by the time we get to this point in time, Jesus has just announced to his disciples that he has got to leave them. I mean, he had said it many times before, but now I think if you look at it, it sinks in. He's leaving them. And when we get to this 14th chapter, he says some comforting words to his disciples and to us that we can live by. And uh, I think it's going to help us along life's journey. Amen? John 14, verses 1 through 4 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. King James and other versions might say mansions, but it's really rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. I want to talk about for a few moments the cure for trouble. The cure for trouble. Amen? I want to share with you some things that, that uh, he says here, and isn't that great? Technology is wonderful. When it works, it's wonderful. When it doesn't, it's not good. Ah, here we go. Amen. I want to read this little excerpt that talks about many things in our life. What is a Christian to do when the world he knows falls in? What is he to do in the day of great trouble? This is not an idle question because although we do not always like to think about it, life is filled with troubles. Disappointment is a trouble, and there are many disappointments. We are disappointed with ourselves, for we are not always what we want to be. We want to be strong, but we are weak. We want to be successful, but we experience many failures. We want to be liked, but often are at best indifferent. We want to be light, but often people are at best indifferent to us. We're also often disappointed with each other, with other people, with a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter, a friend, an employer, a partner, employee, or whatever the case may be. Circumstances, too, are a source of troubles. In some cases, we can do something about the circumstances, and we try to, but this is not always so. Poverty cannot always be changed. 
and poverty is troubling. The loss of a loved one is also beyond our control, and this is devastating. So is the loss of a job, sickness, or even uncertainty about the future, the last of which is particularly unsettling in these times. And what about spiritual troubles? When it seems as though the Lord's presence is withdrawn, and we are plunged alone into what has been well described as the dark night of the soul. What, what are we to do in such circumstances? What are we to do with despair? The answer is that we are to take ourselves in hand and be a, take ourselves in hand and by a deliberate exercise of mind strengthen our faith in God. We are to think of Him and so overcome trouble by reminding ourselves of the power and promises of God and by trusting in Him. Amen. Amen. Trouble. And Jesus leaves in this 14th chapter of the Gospel of John a cure for our trouble. There is a certain sense that Christianity, in Christianity, that pretends that there is no trouble. I admit, some of us probably have heard of this, where people think that once you become saved and once you become in Christ, that you will no longer have any trouble or troubles for anybody that has been truly surrendered to the Lord. And they take that verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. As if that is the text by which many believe that there should be no trouble in the believer's life. And probably if I raised, asked you to raise your hand today, that would probably be the opposite of what they believe because many of us have had troubles, are having troubles, and as the old timers would say, if you just live long enough, you will have some trouble. This verse speaks to the fact that evil will indeed come, but that God will nevertheless accomplish his own good purposes in spite of it. In spite of the trouble, in spite of the evil, yes, God does work all things together for good. He takes what is bad and turns it for good. Number one, for his glory, and number two, for our edification and built up. So if you're in a bad circumstance, it's not that God's going to say you never have any, but whatever is going on, God's going to take that and out of it, make out of it what is good, especially if you're his child. He's got to. Because we just talked about, we just sing about, he's a what? Good, good father. Amen? Troubles do come. And death is an enemy. So we don't deny that these things, but we have to be realistic and recognize that they are a part of life. In John chapter 13, verse 21, speaking of trouble, Jesus himself, it says in 1321, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. In the context of what we're talking about in John chapter 13 and 14, Jesus had just told them a couple things. Number one, he said, I am leaving you. I got to leave. I'm, I'm taking my absence. You're, I'm no longer going to be with you. Number two, he let them know that there was a, a, a person among them that 
was going to deny him. It, two of them. One was Judas, who betrayed, was the betrayer. And number three was Peter, who he said, I'm glad you have a great spirit about you, Peter, that you say you're going to go with me no matter what, but I just want you to understand that the day is coming when they're going to take hold of you and take you to a place you don't want to go. And really what he was talking about that in the life of Peter, ultimately, Peter would be crucified just as Jesus Christ himself was crucified. And Peter, when he came to that moment in his life when those that had put that sentence on him and was going to crucify him, he said, listen, do not crucify me upright, crucify me upside down. I do not want to be identified, I cannot be identified as my Savior was. I'm not worthy of that. So with all that going on, the disciples were in trouble. And here is Jesus who experienced trouble himself, and he was troubled because he saw the, the, the mindset of what was going on around him, and it troubled him to the point that he has to say in John chapter 14 these comforting words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There are five reasons we ought not to be troubled. Five reasons that will help us have the cure for our troubles. Cure number one is we know Jesus. Amen. We know Jesus. He is God. He knows about us, and he knows about our circumstances. He is able to deal with them. So the cure, number one, if you're in trouble or your heart is troubled, and just so I let you know, when he tells them, let not your heart be troubled, it is in the imperative mood, which is a command, and it's specific. He's really saying, you. He's like he's pointing right at you individually. You do not allow your heart to be troubled. Amen? He's telling us as believers, as children of God, as saints, do not allow your heart to be troubled. All that I said, we know troubles all around us, but as a believer, part of the cure is, number one, we will know Jesus. We know Jesus. Do you know him? He's the son of David, seed of Abraham, stone-hewed out the mountain, the meek and humble lamb. The question is, do you know him? And if you know him, that's your cure number one, that you know Jesus Christ. And you know his power, and you know he is part of God, and you know he's able to deal with all of our trouble. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. In other words, believe. Another word, trust in God. Trust also in me. Believe that I know what I am doing. You know, God knows more than you and I know. Do you really know that? And since he knows more than you and I know, he's telling us in these first few verses, the cure for our troubled heart is believe in him and understand that he knows what he is doing. Sometimes in our life, we think God doesn't know. Everything is out of control. All things are happening, and we're like, we're pushing the panic button, we're screaming, we're hollering, we're doing all. But if we have our mind stayed and fixed on Jesus, if we believe in him, we understand that he has everything under control. 
And he lets us know that if we believe it, we know that he knows what he's doing. He says, I am going. He tells him, I am going away for a purpose. And guess what? I will return. He's letting them know that even though there is trouble, even though their hearts are troubled, he lets them know that if they believe in God, they can trust in him, they can believe in him. And he's also letting them know that the reason why he's going is for a purpose and that he will return. To know Jesus, we have every reason to trust him. We have more, we have more than the cross of salvation and for us as well as the resurrection. In other words, we have the cross of salvation and we also have the resurrection which speaks to us of the fact of the, he has our very well-being in his mind. They saw it from a distance. We now see it as our own personal experience. The cross was for our salvation. We had to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin. We couldn't do it. Jesus did it. And we've got the other part of the good news is that one day we will be resurrected. We will actually get up. So, first one is, we believe in Jesus. We believe in him. Second, second curious, there is a place prepared for us in heaven. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. There is actually, he used that word place two times. And anytime we know we see a word repeated, that puts emphasis on that word. There is a place, as a matter of fact, as a point of purpose, there is a place for us. It's not a figment of our imagination. It's not a place. In other words, that place we know as heaven. Amen? Heaven is not a place to escape from our troubles. It is not about the pie-in-the-sky philosophy. Philippians 3, 17 through 20 says, Brothers, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. As we imitate Christ, as we keep our eyes on him and in those who walk according to his example, we know that we will one day have heaven as a place where we will be. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we wait a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. My citizenship is not here on earth. My citizenship as a believer, as a saved person, as a follower of Christ, my citizenship is in heaven. Amen? We are pilgrim strangers traveling through this old barren land. This is not our home. We live as if it is our home, but we don't live with heaven and eternity in mind. For if we did some of the things that we do, we wouldn't do. The way we act, we wouldn't act. But when you and I know that heaven awaits us, and one of the things we talked about in Sunday school this morning was that the way we live really indicates where we are with the Lord. Our actions and what we do really reflects on how well we know the Lord. And every time we go out and every time we do anything, we need to understand that as a believer, as a follower of Christ, if somebody knows you're a follower, could they put the indictment on any of us? Is that a Christian? 
but we live with heaven in mind. And the good thing is we don't know when Christ is coming. You know, say he may not, we say he may not come when you want him, but he's right on time. Guess what? That's not only in terms of our trouble, but he's our on-time God in terms of when he will actually come back. What makes heaven great is not that there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more hunger, no more nakedness. But what makes heaven great is that Jesus will be in heaven. Amen. What makes heaven great is that that's where Jesus will be. Oh, it's great that there'll be no more tears and he'll wipe away all of our tears. It's great he's going to take the pains of our body and be done away with. All those things are no more death, no more loss of loved ones. Oh, that's great. But what makes heaven great is that that's where Jesus is. And our heart's desire, the thing that motivates and should motivate us is that we want to see Jesus. And we want to be where he is. And he lets us know, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Amen? Believe. There's a place. And it's also our personal dwelling. Because he says, I prepare a place for you. You have. I have an actual place in heaven. As great as the holiday and Ramada and all these places are about taking uh, your, uh, we call it reservations, your reservation has been secured not by your MasterCard, not by your Visa, not by your American Express, but your reservation has been made and you actually have a room in heaven. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself made the reservation. I ain't got to worry about somebody else taking my reservation. I don't have to worry about somebody else taking my room. And heaven's going to be a packed place with a whole lot of the saints of God from all over the world, Old Testament, New Testament, those of us who are alive, those who have passed, and those of us who are alive. It's going to be full. What is the picture here? So wide you can't go around it, so high you can't go over it, so low you can't go in it. It's going to be, for, it's going to be, it's going to rise up as that heavenly city. And one thing I know for certain, not because I say it, but because he just told me, I go to prepare a place for you, Byron. In my father's house are many rooms. Now, we like mansions because we're thinking about Jed Clampett and all them with the, with the millionaires and all that. I don't care about if it looks like that. I just want to be happy that I have a room. Amen? That's all I need. I got everything else. I got the streets paved with gold. I got the, the uh, sapphire and rubies and diamonds and all that. And above all, I got Jesus. I don't need to be decked out more than my own house. Amen? I'm just happy that I have a place that has already been reserved for me by Jesus Christ. Amen? That's our cure. But we get wrapped up in our troubles, and we get wrapped up in our... We, the word trouble has the idea of agitated or stir up. It's like the other day when I was watching uh, Sheila and them make this pie or this cake and stuff. They were... 
whipping, whipping. That's the idea. But Jesus says, that's not how we are. If you know me, if you know I have a place for you, if I know I have a personal dwelling for you, you don't have to allow your heart to be troubled. Why? He says, I understand. This is what I hear. I understand our humanity, our frailty, our flesh. But the more that God is in you and I, the more we're in this book, the more we're walking with heaven's view in mind, the more we say, Lord, how can I be so doubtful? How can I not have faith when I look into your word and your word just told me that you said, don't allow my heart to be troubled. And the reason why is because I ought to believe and trust in you. So the issue is not about God. The issue always comes down to it's about us and our lack of faith, our lack of trust, our lack of walking with him on a consistent basis. And I get misinterpreted because people think, take what I say as if you won't cry, you won't sorrow. No, you will. But the whole key is Paul says we will not do that as a people who have no hope. He didn't say you wouldn't cry. He didn't say you wouldn't sorrow. He didn't say you wouldn't miss your loved ones. But to the extent that you no longer can function or live, that's unbiblical. That is totally not what the Bible teaches. If you cease to exist, if you cease to function, if you can't get on with life, that and you're a believer, that is a sin that you need to confess before God and help God deliver you out of that because there is no man, no woman, no boy, no girl, no father, no mother, no wife, no husband, nobody that should take that much of residence in your life. And Jesus doesn't even have that in your life. Amen. What you're giving to another human being, you and I won't even give to Jesus. He says, no, 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 no. Look what I've done for you. I've given you a place. I haven't even given you a personal dwelling place. Reason number four. Jesus returning again for those whom he has left behind. He's coming back for us. At First Thessalonians chapter 4, 16, 17, and 18 tells us that. That one day the trump of God shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. And, and he's coming back. He is returning for us. When he talks about here in this verse, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. He's not talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's actually talking about when he's coming back. For us. So Jesus' return for us is another cure that we know that we should not allow our hearts to be troubled. He says, I will come again. It is not God, a God of his word. If he says, I will come again, he will what? Come again. And he's coming back for church without spot, and without wrinkle. He's come back for his bride. He is the groom. We're the bride. Amen? Reason number five is 
after he returns to receive us, we will be with him forever. Because he says, where I am, there you will be also. And we will be with him for how long? Forever. Amen? So the cure is to take what Jesus says in his word and take that, apply it to our lives, and say, Lord, when I have trouble in my life, not if, but when I have trouble in my life, help me to grasp hold of these five different points. That, that number one, that we know I know you, you know me. Point number two, that there is a place prepared for me. Number three, is that I have my own personal place already in heaven? Number four, that you're going to return again for me personally? And number five, that when you come back, I will be with you forever. If that doesn't help you through your troubled times, and Jesus himself has said this, then I don't know what will. And in the age which we live in, there's many things that the pharmaceutical companies want us to take to alleviate all of our pain and troubles and stuff. You can take drugs, you can drink, you can take drugs, you can all to alleviate all these things that sometimes people try to blot out the trouble that's going on in their life. But I would encourage anybody that the best thing for your trouble is to take it to Jesus and leave it there. The old-timers had it right. They just simply would come down and get on their knees and say, you know what, Lord? They would call heaven. And maybe the problem with the church today is that the reason why we don't have power in the church today is that we no longer call heaven. We call everybody else. And I'm going to tell you, everybody else, sometimes your troubles are so big that even the everybody else's cannot help you. Amen? There's some of our troubles, you know what I'm talking about, that we have that only. Only Jesus. And I know I'm right because no matter what the trouble may be, be it stubbing your toe at the midnight hour or you get a phone call at the, at, at the middle of the night to say you need to get to the hospital, somebody's been in an accident, the first name people call, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. I was working for UPS and I was driving. And I was on the road in those snowy days with ice on the road, and all of a sudden my truck started spinning out of control. I didn't call on UPS. I didn't call on my wife. I didn't call on my mama. Mommy, mommy, no. I'm saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Why? Because I knew he had the power to take control of that truck and that steering wheel and write that, which I was going to go off a cliff, straighten it out, so I maybe slide into a snowbank. You get those phone calls in the middle of the night, and you typically, when you get a phone call in the middle of the night, generally it's not good. Your first thing is, all right, who's in an accident, who died, who whatever. Jesus, help him be able to handle whatever's getting ready to come. He's the one, he's the one we call. When nobody else is able to step in. It's good to have good friends, and sometimes your friends can't help you, but call on Jesus. In troubled times, are we in troubled times? Yes. Men's hearts are fickle and deceiving. 
Bible talks about it in First Timothy. There will be a day when men will be lovers of themselves. Father against mother, father against wife, wife against husband, children against parents. All we're living in that day. We are living at the time in this day and time, almost identical to the same time when Jesus deposited, deposited himself on earth and started his earthly ministry and left on record the apostles and the fellow saints that follow. We're almost we're just about in that same time, same era. But people don't want to hear about the things of God. People don't talk about God. But we have a cure for whatever the trouble may be. He is that ointment that you can wipe over that's way better, Kathy and David, than Grandma Salve. <laughs> when we were growing up, uh, James Allen, his Graham, Eva Graham, had this special concoction of stuff she would put together called a Grandma Salve. And I can remember James Allen many a day. Something would happen. Come here, let me put this Grandma Salve on you. That's all right. But it's better to have the salve of Jesus because he can wipe that on and take away it. And when he's done, there is no scar. There's no marks. There's no nothing. He does it perfectly. And he will get you through that trouble so that when you come out on the other side, the only thing that you can say is thank you, Jesus. To God, to God be the glory for the great things he has done. Father, thank you for your word.